0: All right, um, today uh, we are going to take a break from our series in the Gospel of Mark, where we've been for some months now. Um, we're going we're gonna to break for, for a while. We're going to pick it back up uh, at the end, uh, the end of the summer. So since the last time we've done what we're about to do, a lot of things have changed in our church. A lot of people have come in and out. And so for the next four weeks, I'm going to be preaching through what we at Valley Hope believe are, are the kind of central organizing values by which we operate as a church together. Our, our, our mission is that our, our vision is to in the Swannanoa Valley. That's what we want to see happen. And we believe that this happens along four pathways, and, and really, um, that's not even the right way to think about this, because today we're talking about the gospel, and we believe that everything that we do from this and how we understand the gospel and what it means for us as people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach today from the book of Acts, uh, from one of the first tellings of the gospel by the Christian church, in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, starting at the 22nd verse. Peter is standing up to preach in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit has come on the day of Pentecost. So if you don't know what what that's about, um, neither do the people that were there. So you're fine. Um, The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He has told them to wait and that he would send a gift, would send the gift of the Holy Spirit. This loud wind comes Uh, on this room and it seems like there's like tongues of fire. People are speaking different languages. It's a commotion. It's a racket. There are tons of people in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Now they're all standing around wondering what is going on in that crazy house. It sounds like a party is going on in there. Those people are partying already. They're drunk already. And Peter stands up and he begins to pray sermon. Look, uh, we're not drunk. It's way too early for that. Uh, That's not what's going on. And he begins to explain that what is happening in front of them has been prophesied by the prophet Joel and others, that God would send the Spirit upon his people. And then we're picking up sort of right in the middle of this sermon. So this is Acts 2, 22 through uh, 39. Men of Israel, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word speaks to us. That even though this sermon was not given to us, it was given for us. And God, I pray that you would help us to hear it aright. Help us to hear with our ears and with the ears of our heart that we might rightly see what Peter is proclaiming. God, help our hearts to hear again the news, the good news of Jesus, who is both Lord and Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Let us experience it now in this room as we gather around your word. We thank you in the name of Jesus, Amen. <clears throat> there's a there's a good chance that uh, many of you are church people, and even because of where we live, uh, people have have heard the term the gospel to one degree or another, and the. The problem that that I face is that as soon as I tell you that we are talking about the gospel, uh, you can check out because you can say, done it, heard it, know it. Uh, So I'm good on this one. I'll just wait until something else happens, uh, until all those kids come running back in here. I'll just take a mental break until I have to manage and do crowd control. Um, I get it. I understand. But at Valley Hope, we are wanting constantly, all of us, to get out of that mindset. That at some point, if you're a Christian, you can know the gospel, put it in a box, and tuck it away as something you've accomplished and finished, and you can move on to the more important things the deeper things, the second things that are after the gospel. And what we are saying is, there is nothing after the gospel. This is where we are. This is what we are doing for the rest of our lives. There is no Christianity 102. It's just 101, forever and ever. I was um, I was reflecting on... Tim Keller's life, um, if you don't know him, a preacher, pastor that died a couple of days ago, that meant a lot to me in the way that he taught. And I was actually using him for a couple of things. I had, I, a few days ago, I'd sent a, an article of his about church planting to our church planting people. And I was reading an article of his about the importance of gospel centrality. Um, because he talks about this so beautifully. And he was bringing in this quotation from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther essentially was saying, um, the, the whole task of the Christian life is basically to beat your head in with the gospel so many times that you finally get it. Which is a very characteristic way of Martin Luther talking about things. Peter stands and he here begins to proclaim this essential, foundation, foundational, essential message of the Christian church. And we ought to pay attention to this sermon particularly and when the early church preaches the gospel because the way that they talk about it can actually unveil for us uncomfortable with the way that they talked and comfortable with ways that they didn't talk. Peter will preach the gospel in a particular kind of way here that you probably don't ordinarily If you think of what is the Christian gospel, what is the Christian good news, what is it that we are saying and proclaiming, you probably don't start with David's prophecies about the ascended, crucified Messiah. But it is the way that Peter talks the thing that you have to understand when you read this sermon and the way that he gets down to this point, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, is that all of these things have meaning in the context, in the story of Israel. And if you can't hear... All of that context, it's not that you don't understand what really is the gospel. I'm not, I'm not trying to present something to you that's like the secret thing that nobody actually ever told you. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is that we don't always hear how big and colorful and rich the gospel actually is. And when Peter is saying these things, he is loading all kinds of meaning and story into just a few words, knowing, trusting that the people of Jerusalem will hear and understand what it is exactly that he is saying. And you need to hear what he is saying as well. This story of Jesus is in the context of the whole story of Israel. So what I'm going to do for you is preach the entire Old Testament and good portions of the New Testament right now. In summary, you have to hear and to understand that this story that Jesus is culminating and fulfilling begins in the beginning of the Bible. The vision of life with God is that the people of the earth that he made in his own image and likeness, it says in Genesis 1 and 2 were meant for face-to-face communion with the Creator. They walked with Him in the garden and faithful representation of His character into the world. So He turned to them and said, As the Creator, model what you see in me in the world. In essence, extending the borders of the garden over out to the whole of the world tells them, be fruitful and multiply, certainly referencing biological reproduction, but not just their own. The flourishing of the whole of creation was placed under the care of humanity. And humanity, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, takes a tragic turn away from this call of God the Creator and instead enthrones themselves in this garden temple. It says, we ought to be the ones who decide what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And when that happens, there is an incredible separation, a rending, a fracturing of the whole fabric of creation when God's own image bearers They, those ones, they deviate from their design and from the intention of the creator. And when that happens, there is only one possible result. Death. When you are disconnected from form, function, and power. You die. If you unplug your refrigerator, it will no longer work. When you disconnect humanity from its proper form and function, humanity will die. Creation will die. And God, in that moment in Genesis 3, tells them then what the whole future story of the Bible is about, leading up to Jesus. When he tells them that the the words of the serpent, the one that led them astray, that deceived them and convinced them that they ought to be the one sitting on the throne, that serpent would be crushed. And in that moment, death would not have the final say, but instead the creator would. And so he picks these people up, and instead of executing justice for their rebellion against his rule and reign, he throws them out of the garden, bearing the, the skin of an animal. Something suffers and dies for their own clothing and for their own comfort, and they are escorted out the eastern gate of Eden. Removed from the place where God walked with his people face to face. Removed from the tree of life where they might live there forever. He walks them out of the eastern gate. And puts two angels at the gate so they may not enter again. But the story from there is forever the move of the creator. To rectify what has happened And to crush anything that would disrupt what he has intended in the world that he made. And so he does it through a family. A guy who is, from what we can tell, not special at all. But instead is interrupted by this creator God. Abraham is pulled close and told, through you. I will bless all the peoples of the earth. And it is entirely unclear how this could possibly be true. Because Abraham is just a guy. Not not an especially great one in many ways. The very next story after Abraham hears this is Abraham lying and saying his wife is his sister and, not trusting that God will protect them and he's got to protect himself. But God says to this one, through you, I will extend my blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And it is from there that we hear the echoes rumbling out from Eden. an Eden that was lost. Long ago. And the whole story of Israel is God's intention, His own divine forbearance, His own divine persistence in doing precisely what He has promised. So the story. Builds as the family builds, and all the while the people of Israel are over centuries and centuries being called to trust and to remember that this God, the Creator God, is their God and He will fulfill what it is that He has promised. And even in the law itself, there is always a clear indication for the people of Israel that there is something... Profoundly wrong, not just out there on the map, but inside and within them, brought down from their first parents. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people, You must circumcise your hearts. Circumcision, this mark in the flesh, to mark out where the borderlands of the promise of God were. He, Moses tells the people, you don't just need it on your flesh, you need it within your heart. And by the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it is clear that they will not be able to do this because Moses then goes on to say, God himself will one day bring you to a place where he will circumcise your heart. He will mark out the sphere of blessing on your hearts himself. Because you will not be able to do it, Israel. And Israel itself is living in the constructs of their own longing for the place where they walked with God face to face. They have a place to meet with God. A tent-like structure. It is made exactly as God intended in these concentric, rectangular patterns. And they do exactly what God says. And in the gate, into the tabernacle, are just, which is just two big curtains, they weave the image of, of angels, two angels, on these doors that always face east. And the people of Israel carry a constant reminder of what they lost in Eden. And when the tabernacle is constructed and then later the temple and the people are able to walk through the eastern door flanked by angels, they are being told over and over and over again, year by year by year, that there is hope that the God who made the world He has not lost Eden. He has not lost the place of face-to-face communion. And one day, they might live there again as well. And the people of Israel see the promise. They hear their promise. Their bodies are marked by the promise. And they cannot keep their hearts on him. Theoretically, God is the one who leads the nation of Israel. He is the government. But the people of Israel do what every other people does. And they say, we don't want to be different. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. We don't want you. And their judge of kings is awful. It is almost uniformly a bad track record. But there is one greatest king, David, who receives a promise from this same God that he says, I, shepherd king, I will covenant with you that your lineage will sit on the throne forever and there will be a relationship between my house and yours as that between a father and a son. And David hears this promise and promptly hands over his kingdom to a son who cannot hold on to the kingdom for one generation. By the end of Solomon's reign, It is rent in half. And within generations, it is fractured and overrun. The northern tribes disappear. And the the conquest that comes as judgment. All that remains is the little bit of Judah surrounding Jerusalem, David's city. The the promise is in tatters and ruins. The hope of returning to Eden is supplanted by the hope to survive. And they barely do. They are removed from the land in judgment. They have so totally forgotten the God of Israel. The God of Israel removes them from the land until they remember. And when they come home, And they go back to the place that is supposed to remind them of Eden. The place where the creator God might see them face to face. The evidence that that God meets with them there is gone. There is no evidence of God's glory. His presence. They are home and homeless all at once. And in to this context comes Jesus. And Jesus begins to tell them this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The place where God rules and he reigns, it is at hand. And Israel is ecstatic and they also are entirely confused because what they expect is David's son to rule and reign in power. Hanging out with the most powerless people. He makes room at his table for the unclean. He makes the detestable ones, his friends. Seemingly the opposite of everything they expect. Healing and praising Gentiles and Roman officials. And they cannot see him and hear him and believe him. Crucify him. Because they, as our first parents have always done, sat on the throne and decided, I am a better judge than God. And so I will judge him. Everything happens in this thing. It is the story of Israel. It is the story of humanity. That the creator God has good for you, has good for Israel, his people, and out of absolute allegiance to our own power and self-rule, we reject him and move towards death instead of life. And it seems at this moment that things are entirely out of control, but Peter tells us the truth. This happens according to the definite foreknowledge and plan of God. This is the surprising moment. <coughs> that God is not caught by surprise. He has instead intended this to set his people free. And Jesus on the third day is not dead. He is Alive, And the door to the kingdom is thrown wide open then. What the gospel is, is the fulfillment of all that God had planned and intended and promised to do in Israel... That's what it means that that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one to fulfill the purpose of Israel in the world. And Peter is using the language of Christ. He is bringing in this whole Old Testament story and saying the resurrected Jesus is the one now. It is publicly demonstrated that he is the one who cannot be defeated or bound by death. And he is the Lord. He is the one who fulfills Israel's vocation, and he is the king in the kingdom. And so now, everything hinges on this proclamation. They want to know, what do we do? What is it that we are supposed to do? Who are we supposed to be? And Peter says, you must know him as Lord and Christ. And you must be baptized into his name and receive the Holy Spirit. Because the longings of Israel are now fulfilled. The God who they thought they missed from Eden. The God in the middle of the tabernacle, and the temple, has thrown open the doors to the eastern gate. And now he lives inside and with his people. So that Paul would say, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You now are not far off from Eden. You are instead with the God who walked there in the cool of the night. This is what has happened in Jesus And this now is the defining feature and story of our life together. Because everything now gets examined in the light of the question of what does it look like to do X? In the place where Jesus is the king and the people are the full of the spirit of God. What what does it look like to be in relationship with one another when you sin against one another, when somebody hurts you in the place where Jesus is king and the people are filled with the Holy Spirit? You have to act differently. What does it mean for me now to go to work as a person who lives in the place where Jesus is king and the people are filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that none of your jobs are worthless and none of your jobs are more important because you get paid more. They're all significant and important because the king goes with you and you now bear the original charge to humanity, go be fruitful and multiply and bring flourishing into the world because that's the nature of the king. What does it mean to live my life with with others as a sexual being? I, I now live as a person Where Jesus is king and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that changes how I live as a sexual being. What does it mean for me in my money and what do I do with my possessions? Now I have to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be wealthy or to be poor in the place where Jesus is king and the people are filled with the Holy Spirit? This is why we're saying there is no second level. It's just the gospel. It's just this Great good news that Jesus is the crucified and resurrected Lord and Christ. And now we are filled with his own spirit and life. And it changes everything. And you and I now constantly are dealing with the, with the temptations of our world that are telling us, well, if I behave well enough, then I will in some way have control or mastery over my own life where I can leverage approval from you, I can leverage approval from God, and if I will be a good enough person, if I will be religious enough, if I hold the right values closely enough, if I do enough of the right thing, then I can control from God what it is that he will do for me which is just a variety of the lies that Adam and Eve already believed. Or you can do the other thing, constantly believing, actually, I don't have to obey anybody's rules. I can do whatever I want. And anybody telling me there are any kind of rules, that's a kind of oppression and control, and I'm opposed to that. So I will be the one who will determine. And guess what happens in this scenario? The same thing as happens in the other scenario. It is you putting yourself on the throne in control of your own life where God would serve you and other people bow to the whims of your own heart. Because both of these things, both of these lies that we are so easily tempted by, they all wind up in the same place that sin has always wanted to bring you. The place where you're king and you die on your throne. And so all of our life together is the gospel. That Jesus would liberate you from sin and death. That Jesus would rescue the world. And you can live in light of God's face, full of his spirit. Do you get to be a person who performs well enough to demand Performance from God. You do not. It is always and only a gift from him. That is the way of his kingdom. And those are the only terms of surrender that he will accept. It's on his terms and his alone. Do you get to self-govern and decide what is right and wrong for yourself? Do you get to be a totally free agent? doing whatever it is you please, because you like to, you do not. These are the terms of his kingship. And what he demands is unconditional surrender. And our whole life together is a constant going down and down and down, deeper into the gospel together. We are not teaching your kids to be super- moral people who know a bunch of Bible stories. Primarily, that is not what we're interested in. We are are first interested in them seeing that Jesus is both Lord and Christ and that only he can rescue and reign. Are, Are we going to offer to you financial management strategies, relationship strategies, so that you can figure out how to be a lovely, enviable person. We are not. Primarily, what we are going to preach to you over and over and over again is that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And it is only Him and by only Him that you can live and flourish as a human being. Are there implications for what we do with our money and with our children and with our bodies. Yes, of course. And we're happy to talk about those things, but they come from the gospel first and only the gospel. And what you will hear from me today and God willing every Sunday is this. This whole story is not about you. It is about Jesus. All of it. The whole thing. It's about Jesus. And if you are here today, and you are realizing to greater and lesser degrees that that is not true of you, there is one message from the New Testament church. It is repent and believe the gospel. That's it. 2,000 years, we haven't come up with a different one. It's just that one if you are living under your own rule and reign today, you need to turn and you need to come home. And if you have never ever seen Jesus as the ruling and reigning Lord in Christ of your own life, the fulfillment, all of the longings of humanity, the one who delivers us into the goodness of what God wants to do, today is the day for you. There's There's not a better day. It's today. Hear the truth that Jesus is both Lord and Christ for you. Repent and believe the gospel. And the gospel will be good news for you as it has been for me over and over and over and over again. There is no secondary curriculum for me. Being a father, being a husband has taught me over and over and over again. I need someone to rescue me. And it can only be Jesus. And it is only that gospel that sets me free and delivers me. I would suggest to you that the truth is it'll be true for you as well. So today repent and believe the gospel and in this I am confident Jesus can and will transform the Swannanoa Valley as his kingdom comes in fullness and power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness over time, over the whole story and history of Israel, in the person of Jesus, and through the life of your church, you have demonstrated yourself to be faithful and strong. Your desires for us are better than the desires we have for ourselves. And God, we too frequently forget that. And we ask for your help. God, I pray for those who have labored under the delusion that the gospel is somehow a piece of elementary information that they can pass, leave past and their struggles against sin, the, the sorrow that they have over the state of their life in the world. They need something else, some other secret special sauce. And they have missed the continuing power of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would lift up their hearts, encourage them, and give them joy in this great news. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who have never repented and believed. Who have never been filled with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that today, for the first time, they will see that you are both Lord and Christ, the crucified, the resurrected Lord, who has delivered his people over into the great good things of the world. God, help them to see that and to believe and to respond to you. And Father, I pray that very soon, they will soon receive what you have offered. God, let the response of faith open the doors of their heart to that today. Jesus, we thank you. You are the best news, better than we could hope for, ask, or imagine. We love you, Lord Jesus, far less than we should. And yet, you love us faithfully to the end. We thank you. Amen.